0: Hey, this is Randy Gage, and you're listening to the Power Prosperity Podcast. I find that money and material things don't buy happiness, but money and material things give you personal expression, which can definitely enhance your consciousness.
1: Hello, hello, it's your boy, Carl Harvey. Welcome back to The Big Life. I am genuinely so excited because today you are going to discover how to create big life prosperity. In other words, a boss life filled with abundance, purpose, and more. And you're going to discover how to get a money magnet mindset. You'll learn the exact way to, quote, manifest prosperity from the ethers. You'll see why living your purpose is the fastest way to receive rewards from the universe and Discover the power of your subconscious mind in creating true pos- prosperity in your life and more, much more, in fact. And it's all thanks to my glorious, handsome special guest today. He's the best selling author of 14 incredible books that have been translated into 25 languages, including some of my all time favorite abundance and prosperity books, which we've actually studied in my Abundance Book Club, including 37 Secrets about Prosperity, The Seven Spiritual Laws of Prosperity at 101 keys to your prosperity. Now, these are all must-read books, and you get the gist that this man is a prosperity expert. But here's the best bit, or the bit I really like. My guest today was not born into money and success. He's a former high school dropout who rose from being a dishwasher in a pancake house to becoming a multi, multi-millionaire. Boom! For more than 20 years, he's been helping millions of people around the world transform their self-limiting beliefs into personal and business success, And he's rightly known as one of the world's preeminent experts on prosperity. He's called the Millionaire Messiah by his legions of adoring fans all over the world who have used his books, seminars, and coaching to create big lives filled with prosperity, adventure, and abundance. And now it's your turn, baby. I've been trying to interview this man for over a decade. I'm so glad we've finally done the deal. So excited for you. And we're here now. So please give a huge Big Life welcome to the one and only Randy Gage. Hello, Randy. <laughs> I
0: I think that's the the best inner the, the best intro
1: I ever got on a podcast. My mother is gonna be so impressed. I she mean send this right to your mama. She's gonna love it. And just tell her, my bad mama, I could have had this ten years ago, but I ignored hundreds of koavi's emails, direct messages, YouTubes, and more. But the lesson here, people, is perseverance. Uh, I'm so excited. Let's jump right in. First question I've got for you, mate. In your brilliant book, 37 Secrets About Prosperity, you actually start the book by writing, quote, prosperity is a funny thing. Everyone knows the word, but few people understand what it really means. Go on then. So what does prosperity really mean? What's what's prosperity all about?
0: I think for most people where they confuse it is they think it's money. Uh And they think, oh, as long as I keep earning more money or asking for higher fees or getting raises, I'm living a prosperous life. And that's a really shallow, superficial view of prosperity because true prosperity is very holistic and health and mental harmony and relationships and those other things play a very big role.
1: Give me a little sense of that then. So let's say, for argument's sake, your boy's decked out in all this fancy Versace. Woo! Is that not prosperity? What else do I need to create (laughs) and manifest? And I'm half joking because I've read all your books and studied them. They've helped me so much. But for the people watching, because especially when you're in a scarcity consciousness, I certainly convince myself that all I need to make is 100 grand a year or 200 grand a year and then all my problems are solved. And actually, I, I, I'm with you. I believe prosperity and abundance, it's far deeper than just the cash money. But how have you manifested prosperity in your life and what's important to you in terms of living a prosperous life?
0: Yeah, it'll be different for everyone. And I think if you're really evolving as a human, it'll be different for you as you go through the stages of your life, right? Okay. If you interviewed me... 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I'd probably be wearing a $50,000 diamond bracelet of some kind. Uh What am I wearing today? I'm wearing three plastic bracelets that probably can't remember. They're $10 each or $20 each, but they're made from recycled plastic. There's this place called four ocean, a nonprofit A couple of guys started up and they harvest the, plastic from the, you know, that's floating around polluting the oceans and they turn it into jewelry. And so you, when you buy a bracelet, you're paying the cost of taking one pound of plastic out of the ocean. So, you know what, at this stage of my life, I'm a lot happier wearing that plastic bracelet than I would have been 10 years ago when
1: I needed $50,000 worth of diamonds on my wrist to feel prosperous. Well, that's really interesting. So you think you needed it because mate, you've had such a big impact on my life. I'm paraphrasing, but one of the quotes in your books is along the lines of, if you don't pay uh, more for your shoes now than you used to earn in a year, then you're living, not like a peasant, but something along that. And it actually hit me and I was like, wow, what, a, what an abundance consciousness in the idea that abundance and money are infinite, so therefore why not raise our thinking to that level? But have you changed your tune then? No more well, diamonds? I don't know that I've changed my tune, but I I still feel like
0: you need to be evolving. I think you need to, what as we take this journey to becoming our, the highest possible version of ourselves, what I was trying to explain with the, because I, I tell the shoe story all the time, right? My, my dream shoes, I remember um, uh, meeting a successful guy who I really wanted to be like, and he had these $200 Bally loafers. Oh, wait. And if you read the rap report back in the day, then at this time, they said, these were the most comfortable shoes in the world. And they cost $200. Okay. Well, at that point in my life, I spent $200 for a car. And I mean, I would have to save up the money until I had 10, $20 bills that I could take to an auction or some, you know, used car lot and buy a beat up, you know, crappy old, like a mail delivery car for $200. So my dream was to get those Bally loafers, which uh-huh. you know. Then I manifested that, right? So my eyes got, you know, my the, the window through which I viewed the world got a little bigger. Um, then I learned about Prada sneakers, which will oh, go like on, five hundred dollars. I mean, oh my God, this was obscene. the idea that you could spend five hundred dollars for a sneaker, which of course for. People listening now, you know, who were buying Yeezys and, you know, Jordan, Air Jordans or whatever. Oh, are you kidding me? (laughs) There you go, right? (laughs) But remember, this is back in the day. $500 was a huge amount of money. And then I discovered Testoni shoes, which were like a grand pair. And then somebody told me about Lobs of London, which had made this handcrafted shoes for King George and Frank Sinatra and, you know, whoever. And I said, "Wow, well, I'm going to do a prosperity weekend. I'm going to fly the Concord to London and I'm going to get some shoes made at lobs of London. And they measure every, they make a cast of your foot. They build a wood model and they handcraft these shoes. They're like 10 grand a pair. And so every time I you know I raised my shoe game what I was really doing what I think it's a metaphor for is that I was viewing the world through a bigger window. And Hallelujah. so now you know I'm much more likely to be wearing a $300 pair of sneakers than I would be wearing a $10,000 lounge in London just because the way I'm at my life right now I'm more about being comfortable It's easier, it's, you know, my back, I seem to, my back is less problem when I wear sneakers than when I wear heeled shoes, you know, because I'm going to
1: send you some saucy Yeezys or Jordans after this, by the way, I'm going to get, I'm going to get some saucy ones. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, I don't, because what I don't want it to come across is that I think everyone in the world should pay 10 grand for shoes or five grand or two grand. It's what's, what, what, adds prosperity to your life what 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 do you enjoy right so for me i'm kind of a fashion whore so i love (laughs) having a nice outfit and everything goes together and i like to express my individuality through colors or uniqueness or whatever um so for other people that means nothing and their whole thing would be to have a ski lodge you know i have a friend in in uh, 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 michigan He has a uh, summer house with no running water and no electricity. That's his, you know, his dream is he goes for every summer and he spends a month in this cabin, him and his wife with no water and no electricity, and they love it. So it's about, you know, and that's very prosperity. Me, I want to be at the Ritz-Carlton with 24-hour room service and, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, most certainly. Yeah. So we have to each find what are the things that, you know, enhance our life. And then are we, do we think we're worthy enough and deserving enough that we allow
1: ourselves to have those things? Hallelujah. Even years ago, when I was reading your books and you were talking about the fancy shoes and all the cars and the, you know, flying on the Concorde you tell many stories about, I didn't take it as, the lesson is you've got to get yourself fancy stuff. It was more aligned with what Deepak Chopra says in, I believe it's Seven Spiritual Laws. No, it's actually Creating Affluence. He says, uh, better and best. People with wealth consciousness settle only for the best. Go first class all the way, and the universe responds by bringing you more of the best. And that really hit me as well, uh, alongside your trainings and books, in the idea that I'm limiting myself. It's not about having a five grand pair of shoes or the Bentley or whatever it may be. It's... Why am I stopping myself from having it if I want it? Like If I'm drawn to it, why do I have to pretend that that's big or out of my reach? One of the things I found, because I mentioned the Bentley, I actually just got the Bentley Convertible. It's my dream car for years. Bob Proctor helped me manifest it and many more. And it's great. I mean, it's a toy, but I, I was driving it today and you flashed in my head. I'm like, the joy and the vibration this car gives me. Now, I know it's not actually the car, but... It's a it's like a portal where I get in the car and immediately I feel like a zillion bucks and I'm inspired for the day. And I found that material things can be a tool to help you get in that prosperity consciousness. Uh, I don't mean spend all your money on a bloody Bentley and, and be broke and drive it because I mean the gas alone, sensational nowadays. You can't be bowling <laughs> just to fill it up and it takes hours. <laughs> Yeah. But do you? How far out the other side do you come? So you mentioned the diamond bracelets and whatnot. Do you still believe that certain material items can help people to get more of a prosperity consciousness, or should we, should we swerve that and focus on something different? Well,
0: I do believe there's not many, but there are some people who, for them, prosperity would be renouncing all material things and working in an ashram or a a Shaolin temple or something. Right. And I'm totally fine with that for me. I, and I almost did that. There was a point in my life where I almost went to a Shaolin temple. Right. Um, but I just felt like, no, that wasn't really the right path for me. I feel like the path I'm on now is the one I was meant to be on. I think my I don't know that I discovered my assignment or maybe my, dis- my assignment discovered me, but I feel like I'm on the path that I'm supposed to be on and I love being on this path. So I find that money and material things don't buy ha- happiness, but money and material things give you personal expression, which can definitely enhance your consciousness. So if, you know, like, you know, I had a Bentley Continental GT. You mentioned Bentley. That's
1: got, The convertible one. Yeah, so yeah.
0: I, when I had the GT, you know, it's they they literally raised their own head of cattle in Scandinavia to get the leather for Bentley. Uh-huh. They have a sound system. You know, I put Ramon Vargas, L'Amour, L'Amour, the live recording from the opera at the Met in that car. And you think you're in the Met. The acoustics of that car, it's going to be different for you because you have a convertible. But if you have the hard top, the the acoustics in there. Occasionally it rains, but I'll have the roof up, you
1: know, occasionally. If I'm absolutely forced. It's just, yeah, I mean, the acoustics
0: are uh, finer than any concert hall in the world, right? So, and as a music lover, that adds Mm -hmm. value to it. So I enjoyed that, right? I enjoyed being in a Viper, you know, I've had, I don't know, nine or 10 different Vipers. I like cars that go fast. I like to, you know, I was a racer for a while. Um, So when I had a car doing 735 horse, you know, miles, you know, you know, at the measuring the horsepower at the dyno, at the axle, 735 or 725 horsepower. That's a tremendous high when you're driving a car like that. You're accelerating from second to third, and third to fourth, right? It brings me joy. There's other people wouldn't do a thing for them. Couldn't they, care uh, less. Yeah, sure? they want a, yeah. a Volvo because they got kids and they want a safe car. And But what what I'm always cautioning people about is just don't buy into the bullshit side that says, oh, a car just takes you from point A to point B. That's when you've gone too far the other direction, right? Because, you know, when I used to buy those cars for $200, one of them I bought was a car from that literally was they used for the postal service to deliver mail. So there Uh was no passenger seat because they had ordered the, you know, a fleet of them with no seat there because that's where they kept the trays of mail that the carrier was delivering from. Right. So I had a car with no passenger seat and the floor rusting out. It was like Fred Flintstone, like <laughs> right The floor. Of the car. OK, and to say that that car is the same as my Bentley or my Vet or my Vipers or my Austin Martin or my
1: Challenger or my Range Rover or whatever. We oh, got Range as well. Very English. English, the Bentley as well. Ah, an aristocrat. Oh, those are the
0: only, I'm a Detroit muscle kind of guy. Those are yeah. the only real British cars, you know, because you, there's certain cars you just, you have to own them at least once, right? Gotcha. Like this Range Rover I have is a special edition that they asked Victoria Beckham to design.
1: Oh, um, oh yeah, I know so, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so yeah. There's only right.
0: 100 in the world. The only three of them came from the United States. I've got one of the three. You know, it's an amazing car. Mohair carpet like the the Rolls Royce. It's got this special matte paint job. I have to literally buy detergent from the UK and have it shipped here or they void my warranty if I would use regular soap. Well, I'll do car- a good deal on that, mate. I'll get you some.
1: I'll sneak it over for you. I'm sure there's a deal to be done. <laughs> it's a beautiful piece of work, a, be- a piece of
0: art, right? So it brings joy to me. So um and I get there's
1: people, they're not really car people. So great, me they don't need a two hundred thousand dollar car. No, well, let's let's actually go deeper into this if we may, because it, it could also be uh people who are struggling with with scarcity or they're not reaching their goals and intentions, and they'll justify it by saying, Oh, I don't really need a house like that. They see a mansion or whatever and go, Oh, that's too big for me. It's the oh, that's too much. It's, who am I to to dream that big? So whether it's a car or a house or a, uh, flying at the front of the plane, which I'm going to ask you about in a bit, or you know staying in beautiful hotels, etc., I think I think it's fair to say that if you could go to Bali as a as a backpacker and you could probably get a flight for a hundred bucks and stay for twenty bucks a night in a hostel, but for a thousand dollars a night, you can live like a a king or a Dubai prince, and it is a different vibration. I'm not saying one's better than the other. But what I like to encourage people to do is to live not by their limitations, but by their desires and what they really want to create. So for the people here, it might not be cars, but they might be holding holding themselves back from a bigger experience of life. How do you get that sort of prosperity consciousness where you're able to ask for it, you're able to believe that you can have it and that you deserve it, and then to actually take the steps to create and manifest it?
0: Well, that's really my life work. That's why I say, I believe I've found my assignment. My latest book, um, you can actually see behind me on the wall. If you're watching the YouTube version of this is called radical rebirth and it's how to kill off the old you and move into the highest possible version of yourself. And I think that's the mission we all need to be on. That's And and because then what the thing that I do in that book that just people's heads explode when they read it is I take the six major areas in our life that we create foundational beliefs. Money and success is one of them. Marriage and relationships is one. Health and wellness is one. And then I show you all the limiting beliefs that are out there for those. So money is bad, rich people are evil, it's spiritual to be poor. You got to be a lousy parent to be wealthy. You have to exploit people to have a successful business. These are all money viruses that are circulating the, rules all, the world all the time. And they're there in sexuality, they're there in health, they're there in work and all these things. And so um, what ha- and that's why I say when somebody says, Oh, come on. A car just takes you from point A to point B. No, you've been brainwashed into lack consciousness because if you ever really fired up a Bentley and drove that down the freeway, you would never say that's the same as a Geo Metro. You just wouldn't ever say such a foolish thing. If you, you know, one of my favorite hotels in Kuala Lumpur is the, uh, the Hilton.
1: Yeah. Um, the penthouse yeah. there is outrageous. I lived in Kuala Lumpur for two years. Saucy. Well, every time I go back to like, Mr. Gage, welcome home.
0: There's three guys in front of the elevator lobby with white gloves calling the car. So it's there when you come. They put me in a suite. I had three balconies in my suite, I had two hot tubs in my suite. I'm like, so when somebody tells me, Oh, come on. You can stay at the Holiday Inn for $80. You know,
1: once you turn off the light, the room is the same. No! No. Put that UV light on the bed. It ain't the bloody same, mate. Trust. You put that UV light on that Holiday Inn. No offense, Holiday Inn, but... And just the quality (laughs) of the mattress, the
0: quality of the air conditioning system, the towels, the tissues, the shampoo, the everything, right? It's such a different experience. So... If you buy into those core foundational mind viruses that are so negative, that's where that comes from. So that last book of mine, I feel like that's really the culmination of all my work up to this point to how you break out. And then the other, why I say people's heads explode when they read that book is because then I say, okay, here's the limiting beliefs in those areas, right? So let me tell you, how you got them. Let me talk about the the mind viruses in books, TV shows, movies, blogs,
1: social media, right? And I just give chapter and verse. I remember you talked about Titanic. Oh, sorry to interject. You talked about the Titanic in one of your books and saying that, you know, it's one of the most loved popular films ever but it's like a recipe in scarcity consciousness, like celebrating all the poverty, peasant, poor people at the bottom of the ship and stigmatises all the wealthy people and characterises them as monsters and heartless. And, I mean, it really is. And I watched it back after reading your book, and I was like, holy shit, Randy Gage. Yeah, this is, if you're not careful, because the subconscious is so metaphorical in response to stories as well, if you take this story in at face value there's a good chance you'll end up thinking, oh, well, you know, rich people are bad. It's more noble to be poor and broke. And that really is not the case. Like, the people making that film are not broke. The people promoting it are not broke. Like, there's a, you know, the powers that be are quite happy having billions of dollars, but selling us a story that poverty is in some way noble, I don't believe in that at all.
0: Right. So that's James Cameron made that movie, right? I don't think little Jimmy is worried about how much lunch is going to cost today? Right. <laughs> so when that, movie, when that movie came out, I said, "That's this is probably the most evil movie that's ever been created wow. because it's just Old. level upon level upon level upon level of money is bad." Be- you know, there's the whole scene in the you know in the dining car and she you know in the dining room and she's with all those boring stuffy rich yeah. people and they're sifting brandy and smoking cigars and then. Leonardo's like, hey, come on down to third class.
1: Yeah, look how There's handsome nothing. we are down here. We're all like, and they go down <laughs>
0: there, and everybody's so happy, go lucky, and you know, and then you know, when the ship hits the iceberg, we have the rich people stealing babies, trying to get on, doing every machination possible. We have the poor people, the the mother with the two kids, who's like, we're just gonna sit here and sing church hymns until we drown. I mean land left to level. So that became the single most successful movie since the Earth's crust fooled. Wow. Now, who broke the record? Same director, James Cameron, Avatar. Avatar. Interesting. Okay, what is the premise of Avatar? Evil mean greedy corporations. Yeah. They're sending expedition to this planet where they're going to exploit and basically exterminate the indigenous people to get the natural resources from the planet. And that, again, the so what's the programming there? You know, we even have the hero of the movie, the protagonist, is a guy in a wheelchair. And we find out that he could walk if he had more money because one of his sergeants said, like, and you do this mission, we're going to give you enough money you could fix your legs. So now... We've got these rich people manipulating these poor people, this guy in a wheelchair that he needs to go and help exterminate these people so the rich corporation can get richer. And of course, and then of course, happily in the movie, he becomes a renegade and he reckoned, right? But what is the theme of the movie? The theme of the movie is rich people are evil. So that has displaced Titanic. And you understand that's this, if you take Alien, the Alien, which was the first big hit from Cameron, right? That would Weaver and the spaceship and the alien came. And, you know, what was the theme of that movie? This evil, greedy corporation, which wanted to keep this creature and take it back to Earth to make money from the research. And meanwhile, it kills the whole crew, basically. Because so what, the, what do you think
1: is going on there? Because the uh, the so-called elite will tell us that you savages, you've got to watch your carbon footprint and you 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 need to recycle your bottles and you shouldn't travel as much and you should be eating those insects. But these savages are on the private jets. And, you know, I, I like Jim Cameron's films, but the idea that he hasn't made billions and billions of dollars promulgating these stories is nonsense. It's not as if he's gone, you know what, give away all this money because I don't want or need that. So how do you deal with the fact that the, you know, in the media, there's a lot of uh, famous faces telling us you savages shouldn't live like this, yet they're the ones getting on the jets preaching to us. What, what do you think is actually going on there without going too down the rabbit hole? And why why do they do that? Why not Leonardo DiCaprio, Jim Cameron and others go, Look, look what I've been able to do in my life. Follow your passion. Once you've got your mission, you if you work hard and you, you keep moving and you've got good energy, you could create whatever you like. Why is the message? The exact opposite of that, almost,
0: because of mind viruses, memetics—the science of memetics—mind viruses, which parasitize the host and cause you to replicate the virus. That's why I say that's what that book, Radical Rebirth, is about. Why it explodes people's head is they realize, oh my God, I have been pro—I've been infected with those mind viruses. James Cameron doesn't sit out to say. I want to create an evil movie. Yeah. He's a brilliant, genius artist, right? Who makes amazing. I love the movie Alien. I love the Terminator stuff, the sci fi stuff. He's a brilliant filmmaker. But what he doesn't know, what nobody knows is what. So if you want to be an author, when you grow up, you try, you want to write a book like the books you loved as a child. If you're a filmmaker like Cameron, you want to make a film that like you loved as a child. If you're a TV actor or actress, you want to be in a TV show like the ones you liked as a child. So in the book, I take people to, okay, it doesn't matter if you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. I'm going to go back to your formative years and we're going to look at what were the TV shows? What were the movies? What were the books that were forming mass pop culture? during your formative years. And I start with the Beverly Hillbillies and Dallas and dynasty. And I take it all the way up to game of Thrones and, you know, the newest movies, the newest shows. And you can realize, wow. So a guy like Jim Cameron, he's not trying to make an evil movie. He's trying to make an epic story of, you know, the little guy fighting the forces of evil, you know, the hero's journey kind of theme. Uh-huh. Right. And, but he doesn't realize he has the same mind viruses. So even when you become wealthy, you can still have that subliminal programming that money is bad or rich people are evil. And it's your conscious mind and your subconscious mind are in conflict.
1: Wow. Boss, I'm going to put a link below this or in the description, wherever you're watching or listening to this, for Radical Rebirth, Randy's new book. I'm gonna jump into that immediately afterwards. I haven't seen that one. i'm I'm shocked and offended because I've read each and every other one of your books many, many times, but I'm gonna get stuck into that. This really pulls
0: all those other ones together and you'll see how the like because I've just been like take the first superhero movie that really made the genre was yes. the first Spider-Man film, okay right? The original one. That was the first one because people were like, come on, are we going to take a comic book and turn it into a movie? I don't know about that. Um, And it became a global phenomenon. And that's what spawned all these Marvel and DC reboots that you see today. So there's a scene in the movie where uh, Peter Parker, who's of course, this Spider-Man is talking to his uncle. And his uncle says to him, We may not be rich, but at
1: least we're honest. Yeah, you talked about that in one of your books, I remember. And I hadn't noticed that, yeah. Yeah, so what does that translate to? What that
0: really says is, hey, rich people are evil people. You should be glad you're poor because that means you're not evil. (laughs) We shouldn't do this on live TV, but I'm going to do it anyway. I've just got a fun chapter... Because the thing with this is now, why is um, Peter talking to his uncle? Well, because his uncle and his aunt raised him. Now, why did they raise him? Because he's an orphan, right? Uh Well, if we look at memes, which is you know, when I say meme, people think, oh, that's like a slide on 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 Instagram.
1: No, No, the the original meme.
0: Uh, Yeah, yeah. Means mind virus. So this. My virus, just as your computer can get uh, in, in infected with the virus on the hard drive, your subconscious mind. So you find the memes that are the most um, viral You often involve children. Why? Because we're all emotional about children. You were wounded as a child. You were not getting your needs met as a child, or you have young children. And of course, if you have children, you would do anything in the world to protect it. So when you watch a, a, you know, like my friend Eric just had a young daughter. And so, you know, he was, I forget what movie he was watching. He was like, I I couldn't even watch it anymore. That evil guy was running after that little girl. I was thinking of my daughter and I was so, I can't even watch it anymore, right? So this, idea of an orphan being the protagonist of a series like yeah. that harry potter is a mind virus yeah it's so a common
1: theme isn't it in a new
0: york minute let's see how many people from pop culture literature are orphans uh-huh. so this is from the book right lovely link below people Our, here we go tarzan snow white huckleberry finn tom sawyer james bond Captain America, Heidi, the boxcar children, Mowgli from the Jungle Book, Mungle, uh, Dorothy, yeah. from the, Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz, the Pied Piper, Little Orphan Annie, Annie, Hawkeye, David Copperfield, Poe, the Kung Fu Panda, Poison Ivy, Batman, <laughs> Robin, Laura Croft, Finn from Star Wars, Han Solo, Anakin Skywalker, Luke and Leia Skywalker, Ray Skywalker, The Mandalorian, Worf, uh, Michael Burnham from Star Trek Discovery, Cinderella, The Fly, Frodo Baggins, Superman, Supergirl, Firefly, Harry Potter, Black Manta, Daredevil, Green Horn- a Hornet, Oliver Twist, Professor X, Wolverine, Magneto, Cyclops, John Wick, John Snow, John Wick
1: as well. Daenerys
0: Targaryen, and pretty much anyone with the surname of Stark. <laughs> 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 Do you think all of those authors, TV show, movie people said, I need to create a meme here with an orphan? No, they thought of whatever book or TV or story that they were fascinated with as a child, and they they replicated the mind bars. So they just unknowingly, so if you take something like this meme of the hero's journey, yeah, This has been around for thousands of years.
1: So how do we change it? Fires. I mean, presumably yeah. you talk about this in the book, but if we've got these mind viruses and we are seeing the world through a scarcity lens where rich people, bad, uh, poverty, suffering is good and so on and so forth, how do we shift that to a more prosperous, abundant and self-affirming view of the universe so that we can create what I call a big life, which you know, live in your purpose and your mission uh, having freedom to do what you want to do, creative self-expression, and more. How do, we, how do we get rid of that old programming? Yeah. to
0: I believe the process is first you've got to do the critical thinking and say, that's why I broke it down into six categories in that book. You go to each one of those categories and say, what are my core foundational beliefs about this? So take marriage and relationships. Okay. If you're, father was abusive to your mother, if your mother was abusive to your father, if they fought all the time, if one cheated on the other, you had a core foundational belief about marriage and relationships before you were eight years old. And then you say, are you suggesting I I blew up my marriage when I was in my 30s because of some programming I got when I was eight? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what exactly what I'm saying. So the process that, you know, to answer your question, the process involves doing the critical thinking in each of those areas, recognizing what are your core foundational beliefs in that area, then saying, do they serve me? When When did I get that belief? Is that belief really true or is that actually dangerous for my health and wellness and prosperity? And then if so you've got to blow up that belief and you've got to replace it with an empowering belief. So you might say, you know what? The belief that rich people are evil is not serving. Nope. And I recognize if I become wealthy, here is the good that I could do in the world. And so now you've taken this negative dysfunctional limiting belief and you've replaced it with an empowering
1: belief. False. Love it. Once more, beautiful people, I'm going to post the link below. Get yourself a copy of Radical Rebirth, and actually you should get all around these books because they're sensational. Short, simple, to the point, glorious. Uh, Let's move on. You mentioned Mission a couple of times, um, which is saying that I've been fascinated with uh, for the last decade or just under, and it's had a huge impact on my life. You say that, quote, once you begin doing the work you are truly meant to do, The universe will reward you with good. This is the way universal law works, no exception. So, Mr. Gage, how do we discover the work we're truly meant to be doing? And how do we know when we're on track, What sort of signs do we get when we're living our mission or our purpose? And how do we know? I wish I knew. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, that's why I say
0: I don't know whether I discovered my assignment or my assignment discovered me. Yeah, I feel that. But that's why I think it's really, so like when I first got money, right, I went out and I spent money like a drunken sailor. So I went out and my dream was to get a Viper, right? So I got my first Viper. Then I, that was black. Then I saw a yellow one, so I bought a yellow. Then I wanted a red one, I bought. And people say, why would you have three colors of the same car? Like, so when I go to dinner, I can make sure that my car matches my shoes. Right. This
1: is a 50-cent line, choosing which whip to drive by what match my clothes.
0: Yeah, <laughs> hallelujah, certainly. <Right. laughs> and, you know, I, I spend millions of dollars on sports cars, right, because I love sports cars and because I never could have them as a kid. Yeah. Remember, I didn't have a car as a kid. I wasn't one of those kids that they turned 16 and daddy bought them a new car and paid the insurance. Now, I had to borrow money, you know, and used cars and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So when I became wealthy, I'm like, I'm going to give myself those things I couldn't do when I was younger. And that's a phase that I needed to go through. And then I realized, okay, I've scratched that itch. Now I can learn how to be fiscally responsible and how to live a prosperous life. And I don't have to live, spend money like a drunken dealer to do it. I can learn the next level of consciousness, which is how to grow your wealth. Right. Because for years I used to say, I could lose, if I lost everything, I could build it all back up within two years, I'd be a millionaire again. And then, and I proved it. right? Right. And then I realized, well, that's kind of dumb. Why do I have to prove that I could lose everything and become a millionaire? Yeah, careful what you wish for.
1: Well, you focus on expands, when, isn't it? That's yeah, in your books, when bro. I just, <laughs>
0: yeah. When not I just not lose everything? Then yeah. That would be a lot easier. So I learned how to create and grow wealth, right? Um, and along the way, I discovered this assignment of teaching these timeless principles of prosperity. And I do think, and, and they come because I challenge myself, right? The uh, when is this? When are you going to release this episode? Do you know yet? Uh, maybe next week, next Wednesday. Okay, so next week, within a few days after you're listening to this episode, people, a podcast peeps, I will have a podcast out of my own. On my, I have a podcast called the Power Prosperity Podcast. And I just recorded an episode called um, Visionaries Versus Daydreamers. Oh, like um, it. So I'm going to assign you guys listening right now. That'll be your homework. After you watch this episode or listen to this one, go to my podcast and listen to that one. Um, because I think what happens is, you know, the daydreamers are the people that they just feel like they're victims of circumstance. I wasn't born in the right house. I didn't. My family didn't have money. My parents were abusive. I was born in the wrong country. Whereas visionaries realize, no, I have a very active uh, ability to influence my life, my destiny, my prosperity. And once you make that mind shift, I think that's where the breakthroughs happen. So for me, um, and that was that's the real theme of that radical rebirth book is. How do you become the highest possible version of yourself? And if you will get in, get on to like daily self-development, reading um, books, listening to podcasts, reading blogs that are about personal growth, self-development, I think you will discover your mission. It, or it will discover you. Because when you get on that, where you stop saying, okay, I'm just a victim I was born in a bad neighborhood on the wrong side of the road. You don't know my
1: struggles. You don't know my story, boy. It's tough to be me.
0: I'm like, seriously, you want to tell me that shit? I was in jail for armed robbery at 15 years old. I was a teenage hearted, you know, alcoholic, a teenage drug addict. I've been shot and left for dead. I've I've done deals in every crack house in Liberty City, Overtown, National City. This is gangster. Go on.
1: And, and you want to
0: tell me, you don't know
1: my story? You don't know my pain. You, my <laughs> you, bring, me, you bring me your tragedy, and I'll abuse another tragedy, right? Well, a lot of people actually do that, jokes aside, oh, is that they, no, they go, no, well, no I hear you, but I'll raise you this. My one's worse. Absolutely. And they I, tell everyone. I know. Yeah. I know because I did it for 30 years,
0: okay? Wow. So um, that's why I say the difference is at some point you just say, you know, I'm tired of hanging out to this victimhood story. It's not serving me. It's holding me back. Yeah, have you have a dear friend. I have a dear friend. He's got $100,000 of student loan debt. And he's had a $100,000 worth of student loan debt for 20 years. I've known him. And he brings it up every reach. And I'm like, you know,
1: at some point, you're just going to have to let that go. Yeah. You know, and go all the times here, you talk about work. it, if you were out, Trying to create a value or a service or an offer or to help someone, you you could have paid off that loan. No exactly. judgment. I'm not. I'm being a little bit over the top here, but I really believe that. And I tell people this that if you come up to me and tell me all the worst things that ever happened to you, and I'm a lovely, compassionate man, but it don't inspire me to want to help you or look after you or or do this. Like, why not show your best self? Focus on the best bits of your life. You know, if like if you meet someone, you're going to get married and you've got some old traumas or whatever, you know, you're know, you going to have a conversation with them. But I'm, I'm talking to people who wear their victim story like a badge of honour and keep sharing it again and again and you become what you think about most of the time. Like I was in The Strangest Secret. Earl Nightingale said this shit 50 years ago. I've listened to that thousands of times. Man becomes what he thinks about most of the time. And ladies, of course. There's one more thing I want to ask you about because I know... Timing-wise, so let me get to it. In Think and Grow Rich, the glorious Napoleon Hill said that ideas that flash into our minds should be acted on fast, immediately, and they should be seen as, quote, direct communication with infinite intelligence. When I first read that, it hit me, and ever since then, I've been seeing ideas. If I get an idea, I see that as a gift from the gods, the universe. You say something very similar in one of your books. You say, quote, the medium, man or woman, uses to manifest prosperity from the ethers onto the physical plane are ideas. So what do you mean by this and how can we, and how have you used ideas to create prosperity?
0: Yeah. So I wrote a book that called mad genius, which is a, it's a manifesto for entrepreneurs is what it really is. And probably that quote is from that book. I don't know, but I believe that's the, you know, and, and I, by the way, I was influenced by Earl Nightingale, the greatest secret, of course, I read, um, and he was influenced by As men, think it, um, by James, James Allen. Allen and you know, some of these things are timeless. And so I've been, and so another one that I was influenced with is a book called prosperity by Reverend Charles Fillmore, who was the co-founder of the unity church. So, and he is the guy who, who brought up, uses that word substance, that there's no place on earth that prosperity is not. Even in the worst sub-Sahara famine in Africa, the most abject poverty at a bar- barrio in El Salvador, there we're surrounded by this spiritual substance. And he would equate that ideas are the way we unlock them. And I take that in a very practical sense that yeah okay um there you know every every challenge has a corresponding opportunity right COVID-19 that screwed up a lot of people but if you're a vaccine manufacturer you just had your best You've year right.
1: roll up roll it, up yeah if you're,
0: if you're zoom or go to meeting or what you just had your best year ever Every challenge, no matter how horrific it may be, there is seeds of a greater opportunity in there. And so if you come to me and say, you know what my problem is? I have a money shortage. My answer to you is, no, you don't have a money shortage. You have an idea shortage. Oh, because way. with your idea, you money. can get all of the money you would care or need. So how'd you get more ideas? For me, I literally schedule thinking time
1: Bold. every week.
0: Yes, forty-five minutes. I get a cup of green tea, no phones, no laptops. I take a journal and a pen, sit down, forty-five minutes, and just think and look for ideas to come in my mind. And also by doing the daily self development every morning on the treadmill or the elliptical or whatever, I'm listening to a podcast. I'm reading books in the morning. Those are, you
1: know, those are idea generators. Yeah, fuck yeah. 100%. And from when you get an idea, because I've asked this a million times, my audience, almost everyone can relate to being in the shower or you're out on a walk or you're in the bath or you're getting a massage and all of a sudden an idea flashes in your mind out of nowhere. It's like, ah, I could call this person. I could set up this business. I could reprice the offer at this or whatever it might be. The idea comes, but I find the vast majority of people then spend the next God knows how long looking for every possible thing that could go wrong with it, talking themselves out of it, yes, but what if this goes wrong or this? One of the things I've learned to do is as soon as that idea hits, my job is to put it into action as quickly as I can to the best of my ability, without attachment to the outcome. But if I get an idea to email you to invite you on the show, that is the first thing I'm doing. I'm not going to let myself talk myself out of it. I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to do my best. That has worked tremendously well for me. For the people that have ideas and then overanalyze them or think of all the things that could go wrong, what role does speed and movement play in implementing our, our ideas? And for the people that are doing that, what could go wrong? What advice would you give to them in terms of taking action on the idea instead? Watch out for the danger
0: of absolutes, which is to say, hey, every time you get an idea, you need to jump on it, Mach 2 with your hair on fire. Fair enough. No, not every idea is that way. There are some ideas that you need to let them percolate for two okay. years or 10 years, because it really is that big of an idea that would impact your life and the world in such a way that it might be. That's probably less than 1% of the time, 99% of the time, the best course of action is going to be just what you describe. Right. Hey, How can I get started implementing this idea today?
1: I dare say, not to put words in your mouth, Mr. Gage, but I dare say a great way to take inspired action would be to click that big link below and help yourself to Radical Rebirth, that new bestseller from Randy Gage. sounds saucy. I can't wait to read it. Um, Randy, it's been an absolute honour. Truly over a decade I've been waiting for this. I hope you've had a good time. Do you have any final thoughts, insight, aha, or anything you'd like to share with a beautiful, big life audience who are wanting to create bigger and more prosperous lives? Yeah, do that critical thinking that we talked about a little earlier
0: and look at yourself, you know, what are the core foundational beliefs in your life and when's the last time you really question whether or not they're serving you? Because for most of us, those beliefs are
1: sabotaging us. They're not serving us. Boss! Randy Gage, everyone. What a big boss he is, even though the diamond bracelets are gone. I'm hoping you've got one there. You can send me. You know, if you if you don't need them no more, send them over here. I'll give them a good use. Um, it's been an absolute honour. I'd love to have you back on the show in the future. Once more, beautiful people, go get Radical Rebirth by Randy Gage below. Absolute sauce. And until the next time, think big, live big, and uh, yeah, take... Take some of what Randy's taught you today and go create some more beautiful prosperity. Thanks once more, Randy Gage. What a boss. Thanks, mate. Peace.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to the Power Prosperity Podcast. Do me a favor and practice the circulation law of prosperity and tell people about Prosperity TV. So if you would, just put something up on your Tumblr, your Twitter, your Facebook, your YouTube. Uh, let people know what you think of the Power of Prosperity podcast. Even take a screenshot of your phone and maybe post that picture uh, so we can build the community here at the podcast. Thanks, guys.